Well, it looks like Minerva got the first word today. She did. She introed us. She did. She's she, a little diva. I know. I haven't been paying enough attention to her lately because I got a new like silhouette machine. And so I've been playing with my machine all day. And she's like, but I'm right here. And like, <laughs> I'll make you things later with this machine. <laughs> I'm sure she will love everything from that machine. Right. I'll make her a koozie for all the beverages she drinks yep. out of cans. Cats love koozies. I'll make her a sweatshirt for all the chilly days that she always wears sweatshirts. They also love clothing. Yeah. I do kind of, I was thinking about Halloween costumes for her and I was thinking about getting her a little toga so she could be like Miner- like the Roman god Minerva. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. Or goddess, I should say. That could be cute. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how long she will tolerate a costume situation. Yeah, that is another question. I love cats and costumes. I think it's hilarious. Right. Someone sent me a video of a cat wearing like a flower hood. So like their face looked like a flower. And I'm like, Aww. that's adorable too. I might Aww. get one of those. That's very sweet. Yeah. I don't have a costume yet for Halloween. And I'm uh, not sure what to do. So maybe maybe I'll copy Minerva. <laughs> I feel like. You're kind of like me. And if I don't have a costume, I can pull something together oh, out yeah. of the things in my closet. Oh, I'm just planning on like pulling a wig and like one article out of my boxes of things uh, and just being like, what do these do? Okay, here we go. Yeah. And seeing what happens. Or I'll probably just use toilet paper and Elmer's glue to make fake skin again because that was a good time. I love doing zombie makeup on myself for some reason. I mean, it's fun to do. It's just mm-hmm. like. And makeup in general is fun, but like, especially when it's not supposed to be pretty, it's fun. I love ugly makeup. Oh, yeah. So much more fun to do. I mean, like, pretty makeup is fine, too. But like, I love either ugly makeup or like, not like everyday makeup. Yeah. Like, you can be pretty, but like, right. Kind of out there. And that's fun to put on, too. No, for sure. I was like trying to think of a costume for another party. I'm going to the 30th. Mm hmm. And I was thinking about, because I have a black morph suit, which is just like a full body, like, oh, yeah, yeah, suit. Like the green man's. Exactly. Black. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was thinking about getting a pumpkin mask and just being the guy from the CW who just dances. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I think that'd be a fun <laughs> a walking costume. cartoon. Like, you know, the gif, like, where it's the guy dressed up and he's just like. I think I do. Like, it's you a know, real person. It's yeah. not like oh, it animated. Is? Okay. I think I'm crossing wires then. I also haven't seen the CW in um a long time. Oh, I like I only know it from the GIF, like this. Okay. GIF. Oh yeah, no, I've seen that. Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking about being that person for Halloween. Okay, that sounds fun. Yeah, I like it. Just a dumb, easy costume. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I can always resort to my backup costume of Freudian slip, as I've mentioned. Yeah, I need to. The solid costume. <laughs> I think the fourth or fifth time. Hey, if it's still working, you know. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's definitely a little uh, worn and torn. But that's the kind of the fun of Halloween is like, oh, yeah, I'm just spooky. My house isn't dirty and covered in spiders. It's <laughs> just Halloween. I ordered those special. Right. Just for today. I, yep, those cobwebs. 
I put those up myself. <laughs> Do you like them? Yeah. <laughs> it's weird, though, that it's the end of October. I mean, like, when this episode comes out, we're officially, like, in the end of October, basically. I mean, it's the beginning of the end of October, but that's weird. I know. October seems to be flying by. Everything seems to be flying by, like, all the time. I mean, time flies when you're having fun. So, I mean, must be having a blast in 2021. Oh, yeah. It's been the best It's ever. been a great year. Love it. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird, though, because it's, like, slow and fast. Yeah. Like, things from the summer seem like they were just, like, a week or two ago. But also, it seems like October 1st is today or yesterday. Yeah. I know that's, like, combating one another, but that's just how I feel. Time is a construct. We don't need her. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's finally cooling off, which I'm so thankful for. Yeah, it was cold this weekend. I know. I got to like, you know, get cozy, cocoon in some blankets. I had outdoor plans both days. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it was kind of nice, though. I could have layered more on one, the on Saturday. Yeah. But I was like, okay. And then on Sunday, I layered, which was nice. Mm. And I even got warm enough to take a layer off. So that is the beauty of layers. Yeah. Did a little, I wouldn't call it a hike. Outdoor work, walk. A parks. jaunt, a jaunt through nature. Yeah. I mean, it was like over three miles at the one stop. We went a couple of places. And, so it was like a decent walk, not a like huge, jaunt. but like, yeah. But it was like a paved pathway to state park. A paved hearty jaunt. Yeah. But it was a nice one. I liked it. A nice paved haunt or like hearty jaunt. All there those we go. things. Yep. Yes. Oh, I made a pot roast this weekend. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so domestic. No, I sometimes get these days where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, where I'm going, but if I can make a casserole, at least I'm doing okay. You know, very much like a 50s housewives def- yeah. defense of like, everything will be fine if I can just get this dinner in the oven, you know? <laughs> You know, on those days, I think what I've started doing is kind of at the end of the day, making a list of the things that I actually got done. Like when I feel like I'm like, I haven't gotten anything done. Mm -hmm. I started making a list and it kind of, I don't do it every day, but the times I do it. It's great. It feels really nice because sometimes like, wow, I barely did anything today. But if I actually sit down and think about it, I'm like, oh no, that was like a thing. Yeah. Like I, I don't know, even something like as insignificant as like I made my bed. Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah. And it should count. Make uh, all the things count. I'm a big fan of writing things ge- writing things down in general. Oh, yeah. Just because, like, I've been using my chalkboard wall a lot more, mm-hmm. and it's been nice to just, like, physically write things down where I can see them. It sounds so dumb, but just, like, Not in 2021, we have all this technology. Just physically writing something down is mm-hmm. very helpful. Uh, there's definitely, a, like, a hand-eyes-brain hand connection. I think there's even scientific proof, but don't quote me on that. But it seems like there should be if there's not. But Oh, no, there is. Okay. like I, And it is really satisfying. I love a list. I love oh, yeah. making lists. I love post-it notes. I love like all those kind of... I love the idea of like getting organized. Yeah. Not so great at staying organized, but yep. I love getting organized. I know exactly what you mean. In theory, it's great. I love doing it with like really dumb stuff that I do like it this type of organization, like my bookshelf is organized by fiction and nonfiction. The fiction is alphabetized, the nonfiction is Dewey Decimal System. How did you figure out the Dewey Decimal System? I'm glad you asked. I Googled each book's ISBN number to find its Dewey Decimal number and then organized the books like that. I 
don't miss the Dewey Decimal System because I did have to use it in elementary school. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make a ton of sense. I'm good without it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense once you like get into it, but you have to like know it. It's like, oh, 800's philosophy or something. Yeah. I don't know if that's right. I, I don't know. I think 600 is science. Okay. I mean, I'm just going to believe you on that one. Yeah. I'm good. Especially for like my minuscule collection. But you know what? Good for you. I'm glad that you went with something that intrigued you and it was felt very productive. Fun. It okay. felt very productive. Okay, I good. enjoyed doing it. But in the long run, did it help me at all? No. But well, I had fun doing it. So that's the organization. That's help in, a, in and of itself sometimes. Yeah. That's fine. You can do things just for fun. And yeah, it's definitely more than okay. That's something it's I've been encouraged. like working on and learning lately is like, it's okay to just do things just for you. You don't have to try and like, mm -hmm. and it's okay not to do things just yeah. for you. That's yeah. what I'm having a hard time with and trying to incorporate more. Yeah. Boundary. Like I always thought like I was good with like boundaries as far as like the big things. And I think that's still true, but like, even when it comes to smaller things, mm -hmm. like just saying no sometimes. Yeah. People aren't going to hate you because you said no. Like that's just not how that works. And if somebody does, then that's yeah. not a great person. So no, I know exactly mm -hmm. what you mean with that too. Cause I've also have a hard time saying no to some things or a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's something I feel like, especially our generation. Mm -hmm. have a hard time with I feel like yeah yeah I don't know no I, I'm just thinking of like people in different generations that I know and I'm like hmm maybe yeah like I feel like a boomer has no problem saying no maybe I don't know though no I guess it probably depends on the situation yeah, with a lot of it it does I think yeah I think so yeah but yeah I mean there's vast amounts of differences between yeah boomers and even gen z and then millennials and oh yeah gen z mm -hmm. god bless they're gonna save the world it's not me though mm -hmm. oh no 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 no. love that for them i'll be here for support mm -hmm. i mean i'm barely a millennial i am but i'm barely a millennial i mean <laughs> you gotta know where you stand you're a millennial i am yeah i've kind of like grown to appreciate the millennial label Mm -hmm. I feel like for some reason it was a for a long time. I feel like it was like a, oh, you millennials. Uh, now it's kind of like. Everyone's focused on the Gen Z now. We can kind of, you know, be like a Gen X where we just kind of fade into the background a little bit. Not in like a not in like a forget about us kind of way, but like we're just not the focus right now. And I'm OK with that. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm I'm totally fine with that. I just I think the big thing is that the past like three generations or four now, I guess. I'll have vastly different childhood experiences. Yeah. Especially in regards to like technology. So oh, I think yeah. that's like the interesting thing that's kind of like focused on is it's. Yes, the other things surrounding us in society have also like shaped the different generations, too, in certain ways. But technology kind of was the new kid on the block. Oh, yeah. And it that's kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. To see. And technology took such a weird trajectory. Oh, yeah. Like what technology took off and what didn't. Uh -huh. And it was, it always also. will, I think. I mean, oh, I yeah. think as we move forward, it's going to be like that too of like, huh. Yeah. Hmm. Like, was that a blip or is that the future? Yeah, exactly. I wonder about that a lot with phones, like these new foldable phones. I'm like, I don't know about this. 
I yeah, I don't think we're going back there. Yeah. I feel I don't like think they're that's trying what people to want. Yeah. Nobody's out here in 2021. I'm like, man, my phone can do all these things, but you know what I wish it could do? Fold, Fold in half. Mm-hmm. I think they were thinking that people could like put them in their pockets because phones are, you know, so big now you can't put them in a lot of pockets. Yeah. I, but I just think everybody's kind of adapted to that. Right. So I remember when one of the iPhones came out, they're having a problem. They were like big and thin and they were just like people would wear them in their skinny jeans pocket and the phones would start to bend. Yep. Because they made them so thin and the material wasn't durable. Enough. Yeah. And he was like eight or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It was like six or eight. I can't remember which one, but like, yeah, I remember it being a big problem. <laughs> yeah. I think I loved it because there was a time where, like, I remember, like, seeing memes around that time. And so I was like, I put this phone in my pocket and it bent. And then I also realized it's just a pack of Pop-Tarts. And <laughs> yeah. it was just a pack of Pop-Tarts in his pocket that got crunched. And I'm like, yeah. Then I ate my phone. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of eating phones. Yes, exactly. We are drinking beverages. We are. You made us some nice beverages. Very folly. I did. You know, I had some apple cider in the fridge and some fireball. So I was like, you know, let's have a nice little apple cinnamon treat yeah and i appreciate it especially because i think i was supposed to bring a beverage and then i eh. didn't even think we've kind of changed that it's right just it's when we're feeling just, it right it's like when we got the we got the booze and the mixers and we get our inspired yeah drinks happen yeah exactly exactly let's take a drink break yeah speaking of is this cider from your trip today no okay this is from western market I think it's Blake's though. Okay. Yeah. I've I've decided I like Blake's. Yeah. They do hot cider at Eastern Market. Ooh. And that's really fun. I bet that is. I yeah. it's been so long since I've been to Eastern Market. Same. I tried to start going again and then it just hasn't worked out. I'm hoping to start up again. I'd loved going every weekend for like a good two years. Yeah. I mean, like there'd be an occasional miss here and there. Right. But like more pretty often consistently, than not. yeah. Like I was going to a grocery store like once every three weeks because you're just going, dude. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That sounds lovely because I hate grocery shopping. It's so much worse now. I feel like, especially if you go to like a Meyer, I feel like Meyer's always busy. Oh, I don't go to Meyer anymore. Uh, Yeah. I hate love grocery shopping. I love nothing more than walking into a really fancy grocery store Uh. and just being like, "Today's the day." I'm getting the things I want. Yeah. Because I do like culinary things, you know, so there's like an excitement to that of like, I'm going to get this like, I don't know, dip or whatever that I've been eyeballing or something like that. I do kind of enjoy a Trader Joe's trip too, for the same reason of like, I'm going to go get that French onion soup or, you know, something I'm excited about. But I don't like large grocery store shopping that much. Yeah. I don't like the Meyer and the Kroger. Couldn't possibly. I I go sometimes, but honestly, I haven't been in a while because I'm like, eh. Well, but anyways, now that we have these fall treats. Yes. Would you like to hear a fall treat? I would love to hear a fall treat. Okay. So have you ever heard of the Crouch Murders? Oh, I have not. Okay, well, we're taking a little bit of a road trip. Yeah, yeah. Gonna go hi- say hi to your fam. Oh, out in Brooklyn? 
or Jackson? Jackson area. Jackson area. We'll, we'll pass by my family. We'll yeah. wave hello and yeah. then we'll keep on going. Well, and this is the Jackson area. So I actually don't know like the relationship to actual Jackson. Yeah. I didn't look that up. But going on a little bit of a road trip and we are going to Spring Arbor Township. I heard of her. Yeah. Isn't there a university, Spring Arbor University? There is. I know somebody who went there. Yeah. I saw some shirts. Mm-hmm. That's about that's my connection to the university is I saw some shirts. That's nearby. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming. So again, actually not again. I haven't said it yet. We're gonna start on an actual dark and stormy night. Ooh. When there was not one, not two, not three, but four murders most foul. Oh my gosh, that is four murders too many. I will say, though, on November 22nd, 1883, there were very high winds. So it was actually a dark and stormy night in large thunderstorms that surrounded Spring Arbor Township, which is in Jackson County, as we said. Yes. And the farmhouse of Jacob Crouch. Okay. In his house rested six people. Uh So little backstory about him before we get to November 22nd. Let's know about the people we're going to be talking about first. Okay. Jacob Crouch arrived in Jackson County from New York in 1830. He settled on Horton, a Horton road farm for basically, I guess it was really excellent, like wheat growing territory. Ah, yes. Yes. We love the wheat growing territory. Yes. Some accounts state that Jacob was actually a millionaire at the time of his death. So he did fairly well for himself. Grew a lot of wheat. Mm-hmm. And again, though, this is like 1800s and he was a millionaire. Yeah, so that's a lot. Adjusted for inflation, mm-hmm. that's hella rich. Shit ton. Yep. Yeah. He might have been the richest person in Michigan at one point during his life, but also, like, I don't think the records are that specific. Yeah. So, yeah. He owned a thousand acres of land, a herd of cattle, as well as property and more livestock in Texas. Okay. Stories of him recount that he was a little ornery, tight-fisted, never trusting of banks or lawyers. We'll get to it in a little bit, but he did keep like stashes of cash around the house usually. Yep. After settling... I know people that do that though. Do you know people who just like, they keep like just... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't because I never have cash, but... Same. Yeah. Love that for them. Sounds great. Yeah. Must be nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After uh, kind of settling himself down, Jacob would go on in 1838 to marry the beautiful Anna Bush. Anna Bush. So Jacob and Anna would go on to have six children. Their names are Susan, Byron, Daytona, Ethel, who unfortunately passed away at age four, Eunice, and Judson, also known as Judd. What a mix of name. Like one name is not like the other. Is no. the fact that it is Daytona, which is a beach. No, it goes from Susan to Judd. So yeah. <laughs> With a Eunice. I actually know a Eunice. Do you? I do. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the name. I would like to know like where that name came from or stem from. It sounds like Eustace. I don't know what that word is. Eustace is a name. It's a male. I think it's the male version. Oh, I've never heard that name. It was from Courage the Cowardly Dog. Eustace and Muriel were the, the couple. Yeah, I don't know that <laughs> Yeah. So Anna unfortunately passed away in 1859. However, only six days after the birth of Judd. Uh, Judd took her out. He did. Damn it, uh, Judd. Mm-hmm. 
Jacob was pretty devastated by the loss of his wife, and he actually had a really hard time being around children at the time that reminded him of her. I think most of the kids were kind of like older. Like, I think there was some space between Judd and, uh, you know, the other uh, Eunice. Yes. And Judd was actually not raised by Jacob. Instead, he was moved down the road and he was raised by his sister, Susan, and her husband, Daniel Holcomb. Two Susans. One no, story. Susan, it's the same Susan. Oh. That's his older sister. Oh. Yeah. So he was like, go live with the older sister. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They were I don't have their ages specifically, but gotcha. they were very spaced out. Susan was the first of the bunch. I thought you meant sister of the dad. And that's why I was oh, like no, no, no. two Susans. No, no his one own Susan. sister. Yeah. Okay. So he was raised by his sister and brother in law. Yeah. And on their farm very nearby, like a couple miles, I think, away. Yeah. So he wouldn't even find out that they weren't his biological parents until he was about 10 or 11 years old. Ooh. Mm-hmm. They were compensated a little bit for raising him though. In That's some way. Ways. Don't know how much. Yeah. And they also seem to welcome it. They actually had a child who had died at the age of four from a fever. Oh. And so they were kind of like, yeah, this is, this is nice. Yeah. We enjoy doing this. They would actually go on too to have a, another child, a daughter named Edith eventually. Edith. Mm-hmm. So Daniel Holcomb, Susan's husband, a, he was really in the business of just obtaining money. Like that was his focus in life was like, how do I get money? It kind of seems like he preferred not to work hard. For Works that. harder, not harder. I get that. Yeah. So he was bailed out by Jacob constantly financially. Yeah. For a multitude of reasons. And there seemed to be possible tension between them at the time. It's hard to tell, you know, again, 1800s, but yeah. there was probably a little tension between the two of them. The way they wrote back in the 1800s, you're not sure how anyone feels about anyone. No, no. So Jacob, he was a very stern man, but he's also a very giving man. Okay. He often helped those who had fallen on hard times or he would give work to those who needed it as long as they would give a good day's work to him. Uh-huh. So one of those people was about a 16 or 17 year old named George Bowles. Okay. And Jacob had found him on the streets of Jackson, basically really thin, probably malnourished. And he gave him a job as a farmhand, but only if he agreed to also meet with a tutor two nights a week provided by Jacob. Aw. So again, kind of a cool guy. We stand that. Yeah. He also, too, heard from somebody nearby that a woman had been divorced by her husband and was basically kind of left without anything yeah her name was mrs reese she was like in her early 20s he also took her on as basically like a house servant so like kind of you know answer the door do the cooking and things like that for the household as well so again very like he wanted to help people yeah who needed help so a little bit about two of the the sons a little bit about his kids so dayton and byron two of the ones kind of in the middle They fought in the Civil War. They actually signed up. I think they were like something like 17 and 14 or 19 and 14 or something like that. Damn. Yeah. Apparently the 14-year-old was very tall and could kind of pass for, for older. I mean, good for him. I would not want to be in the Civil War at 14. I'd rather play Game Boy, you know. Oh, no. But, it sounds awful. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Couldn't possibly. Couldn't be me, but love that for him. Yeah. Against their father's wishes after that, they then moved to New Mexico to build a ranch after being bankrolled $70,000 by good old dad. I mean, yeah. Yeah. 
New Mexico is beautiful. I get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they started raising sheep there. They were actually doing pretty well, I guess, ranching sheep sheep in New Mexico. When Dayton passed. Damn. In 1882. Mysterious death. Oh, no. All that is known is that he was killed by a bullet wound to the head. Oh. Stray bullet. Maybe. Intentional bullet, perhaps. Gunfight? Who knows? They just kind of found him with a bullet in his head. Uh Uh-huh. At least one that had passed. A wound from a bullet that had hit his head. Yes, exactly. The even odder thing, though, is his obituary said that he died of smallpox. Oh. So that's just weird. I didn't know that smallpox was getting shot in the head. Me either. Yeah. Shot by smallpox. Yeah. Smallpox, that bullet-wielding virus. Yeah. Uh, In the meantime, Byron actually moved his ranching operations to Texas and started raising cattle instead. And he would eventually sell that in 1900, so he didn't own it like the whole time, but apparently he stayed there until his death later anyway. Okay. So Eunice, the youngest sister of the bunch, so Mm. was supposedly Jacob's favorite child. Hmm. So she would go on to graduate from St. Mary's College at Notre Dame to receive a teaching degree. Okay. She then met a younger man named Henry White, and he was the son of a prominent farming family well-known in the area, and the two got married. Okay. And the couple lived with Jacob, so Eunice could keep an eye on her aging father, because he was like in his 70s, I think, at this point. Yeah. And help him with finances and running of the household. Yeah. So again... There was a little tension throughout this, the whole family with money. I think it, sometimes when people have money, there's tension. Yeah. People are weird about money. Yeah. And there's not specific information by it, but it was like indicated a few places. Some say that Eunice was in charge other, and or others thought that her brothers were stealing money from their father, possibly partially due to his limited education, because mm. like I said, he would hide money all over the house rather than put it in banks. And nobody knows, like, if he knew how much he was putting, but he did have, like, very specific spots that he would always put it in. Yeah. And they were concealed, but, like. If someone knew you were hiding money, you could find, and you found a a spot that had it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it said, I think, in the thing I was reading that he put it in protected spots, but I don't know what that means. Right. People can, I mean, you can find stuff in spots around a, a farm. So Eunice actually became pregnant when she was around eight or nine months along the way. Yeah. He announced, Jacob announced to the whole family that basically that child was going to be added to the will. Okay. Because again, favorite child having a a grandkid. Yeah. Sounds great. This didn't go over so well with everybody. Some of the brothers weren't sure what that meant. They were like, I don't know. It is a weird statement. I know Susan's. Uh, Susan, the oldest, her husband, Daniel, who was previously mentioned, not a big fan of it. All kind of like, hmm, what's going on here? And I think some of them were worried about, like, the baby maybe getting the majority. Yeah. Or something like that. So, little tension. Yeah. So, back to November 22nd, 1883. Now we kind of know the people hanging out. Yeah. At the farm. Jacob Eunice, her husband... And a farmhand named George Bowles, the 16, 17 year old that he was getting tutored and things like that. 
were at the farm and they had just sat down to eat like a pork chop supper. Okay. While Mrs. Reese, the house servant. Yeah. Was eating in the kitchen. When all of a sudden there was a knock at the door. So Mrs. Reese got up and she opened the door to find Daniel Holcomb. Okay. Susan's husband. Along with his brother, Henry, at the door. Okay. They requested to speak with Jacob. And Jacob was pretty pissed like this. Like, who would come during supper? That's so rude. Like, why are people at my door? Like, this is just not when you visit people. Right. This is not cool. So they requested Jacob and Mrs. Reese was like, eh, but he could kind of overhear. So Jacob ended up coming to the door. And they requested Jacob help Henry find some work. But Jacob had nothing, at least until spring. Yeah. Because, again, we're going into winter at this point. There is less to do. Right. Especially on a farm. Mm-hmm. So basically, he said, Daniel, you and Susan should let Henry stay with you at your house until the spring. Yeah. Maybe we can find them something then. Slammed the door in their face. Again. Mad. That, yeah. Annoyed. I think yeah. annoyed. On their way out, they were decently upset by this interaction, and they didn't even notice that another man was passing by and turning onto the crouch farm. This would actually turn out to be a man named Moses Polly, who was a former farmhand that Jacob had helped. He was now a cattle farmer in New York and friend, a friend of Jacob's. So he'd come by for a visit because he was kind of on a cattle scouting yeah. trip. I, that's a thing. Yeah, sure. And it would have actually been fortunate had they interacted with him because he was looking to hire people to drive, help him drive cattle that he purchased back to his farm states away. Yeah. He had also just come from a pub on the outskirts of town where he'd already prepaid men to gather the cattle for him. Yeah. But he'd also been flashing his money around a little bit. Not a smart idea. No. So... Knock at the door once again, but Jacob was super happy to see Moses. Old friend, how you doing? It's so great to see you. Come here, um, George. Like, this is used to be a farmhand. Now he's doing this great thing. He's, like, got these cattle and family and whatever. Yeah. So they're having a nice time. And, you know, they have, like, donuts and cider later and whole shebang. Great night. Yeah. He also introduced them to the Whites, which was Eunice and her husband, Henry. Yeah. And after dinner, they socialized, like I said. But when it came time to sleep, Jacob said, Moses, you must take my bed. Like, I will, there's a spot under the stairs that has a bed. I'm good sleeping there. You've traveled so far. Like, please take my bed. Yeah. So everyone goes to bed for the evening. And Moses said, thank you. And took him up on his offer. Yeah. The next morning, George Bowles, the, the teenager. Yeah. I'm not going to say wakes up because he didn't really wake up. But when the sun came up left a trunk that he had been hiding in in his room uh-huh. because he had heard some stuff the night before. So when the sun came up, he felt safe to get out and investigate. This is when he found four bodies, the oh, bodies mm-hmm, in their beds, the respective beds of Jacob Crouch. And I 74 years old at the time, Eunice white, again, eight or nine months pregnant, her husband, Henry white and Moses Polly, the visitor that just came. Damn. There was also evidence of, Pistol bullets all over. Damn. And again, unfortunately, young George had to see this, which really stinks. Yeah. And he and Julia Reese were the only ones left alive on the farm. Dang. So Bull's story goes like this. He's awakened in the night by thunder. 
and he saw a man with lantern standing outside. He said he heard what sounded like a blow, then another one, and then a muffled scream. He climbed into the trunk, stayed there until morning. Like I said, sun came up. That's when he went downstairs. He ran to the nearest neighbor, George Hutchins, who called Sheriff Eugene Winey or Winnie, W-I-N-N-E-Y. Okay. So once the scene was investigated, it was found that Jacob was shot in the head. And his friend from uh, the cattle farmer, Holly, in the head and chest. Dang. Henry White had a bullet wound in the neck and another one in his abdomen. And Eunice actually received the most when she received two shots in the right arm, one in the neck and another one in her head. Dang. More than likely she went to investigate other noises. I mean, I didn't read this anywhere. I'm just assuming she probably got up to investigate other noises and then they freaked out really quick. And yeah. Shells of several different guns and bullets were found throughout the premises. So more than one gun. Before the sheriff could even get there, though, and this was a problem back in this time period, neighbors had already gone into the home to like, look at stuff. They startled Mrs. Reese, who was in the kitchen preparing breakfast and had no idea that this had even happened because nobody had told her yet. Damn. Yeah. She she didn't have a reason to go into the bedrooms or anything like that. She's she just, like, just making the eggs and bacon like yeah, I always I do. I need my coffee. Right. <laughs> or, you know, whatever the case may be. That's just what she did in the morning. So right. that kind of sucks. Yeah. yeah. As part of the investigation, Sheriff Whiney called in. Um, this is an interest. There's some like interesting stuff through here. And this one's a weird one, but Sheriff Whiney called in a photographer from Ann Arbor to try and photograph Eunice White's eyes to see if the image of the killer was still reflected in them. Okay. I know this was the 1800s, but this dumb bitch had to know better than that. Mm hmm. Well, it was later determined that too much time had passed for it to work. Oh, my God. Officer Whiny. What an interesting thing, though, to think that that was like. We'll see the killer reflected in her eyes, even though he's no longer in front of her and her eyes are closed and dead. Uh Well, they could have been open. That's true. But still, like. Right. Yeah. But it just. How interesting. Right. Uh, unfortunately, because Bowles and Reese were the only ones in the house during the murders, they were arrested and put in jail. But this didn't last long because they were released for lack of evidence. Yeah. There was literally no, nothing pointed to them. Right. I, yeah, I have no reason to suspect either of them. Yeah. You know? So the mystery of who killed everyone on the Crouch property was speculated for years locally after this. Very soon afterwards, though, thousands of very curious onlookers would travel to see the scene. So many that Michigan Central Railroad actually had to halt trains there to actually accommodate just for those who wanted to go see the crime scene. Like they had to change their train schedule. Because people were just looky-looing so hard. Yep. I mean, Mm -hmm. guys, back in the day, you didn't have Twitter. Might as well go see the murder scene, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing as listening to a... True crime podcast? Yeah. Yeah. To a certain degree. I mean, there's a little bit more effort put into a day trip to like... Let's go see the bodies. Yeah. So Jackson County actually offered a $10,000 reward and a relative of the whites offered another $2,000 reward for information that would connect to, you know, the killer and the rest of the killer. So today that would be almost a total of $350,000. Dang, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. The county even hired the well-renowned Pinkerton Detective Agency for the case. Work. I know. I was like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. 
dozens of amateur detectives also showed up in Jackson to try their gumshoes on, I wrote. Yes. <laughs> uh, everybody was just basically trying to solve this. It got so bad that Henry Holcomb, again, Su- Susan's husband, uh-huh. started to wear a disguise so that he could hang out at one of the like seedier parts of town to gather information and try his luck at being a detective, too. Susan's husband? Susan's husband. Okay. I'm I'm pretty sure he did it. Him and his brother. That's my thoughts okay. right now. That's okay. what I'm thinking. We're gonna we're gonna um we're gonna note that. Okay. Yes. Another amateur detective came to town named Gallen E. Brown, and he was a former police officer from Battle Creek. Okay. And he was actually shot in the chest while walking from the crouch home. Like he went to the home and then he was yeah. walking away from it. He survived the shot, though, and he claimed that the youngest Crouch sibling, Judd Crouch, was the one who shot him, but it was never proven. Okay. I mean, Judd, what you doing? Why are you shooting people? Mm. Dad's dead. Don't shoot people. I will remind you, too, that Judd lives with Henry Holcomb. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I'm saying that, but uh, yeah. Oh, no. So, of course, everybody had their speculations what happened. You have your speculations. Yeah. And... Some of them were pretty dumb, but we'll just go over them really briefly. Some thought that Roma type individuals robbed the home or that Polly, the farm, the cattle farmer who often bragged about how much money had, had been followed by thieves. That was more likely than the Roma. Like, yeah. When have you ever seen Roma people in Michigan? Really? Well, I say Roma because they use yeah, the, the yeah. less savory term. And I think they just meant like transient. Okay. But like, I don't know because it's not the word they use. They probably should have used the word transient. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is not a bad thing either, but that's a whole other yeah. issue. Others thought it was the revenge of possibly a fired farmhand from the past, but that would include too many people. Okay. Some thought maybe Jacob was planning to leave his fortune to Eunice's unborn child, as mentioned, cutting siblings out of the will. Some thought that Byron, who was the one I believe down in Texas, yeah, hired a band of Texas cowboys to commit the crimes over the inheritance disputes. Okay. The story doesn't really stop here, though. Okay. This is not the only murders. Dang. Okay. January 2nd, 1884. So not long after. Yeah. Susan Holcomb was found dead in her bed. Oh, my God. The cause, it wasn't a bullet wound, so not the same type of murder. Asbestos. Well, you're pretty close, actually. It was determined she was force-fed rat poison. Oh. Yeah. Work. Some claim that she had killed herself. Did she argue that she wasn't a rat? I mean, she was dead. I mean, while they were force-feeding her, she'd be like, (laughs) no, excuse me, I'm not a rat. I don't eat rat Mm -hmm. poison. I need Susan poison. Exactly. (laughs) That's that's what I would have done had I been Susan. So there are some claims that she killed herself because she didn't want to have to go on the stand for some court hearings. Uh But according to the coroner report, her heart just gave out. Her heart gave out, so she ate rat poison? I, the, I think the death certificate basically says that her heart, some sort of heart failure. Did it mention the rat poison at all? No. 
Why? I don't know. And I'm not sure where that specific information came from. Damn you, 1800s. I will say, though, this is not that long after the rest of the farm. She is another sibling who would be inheriting things. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's like a lot of, it, this is also, of everything's circumstantial. Yeah. So it doesn't, yeah. So two days later though, two days, James Foy, the Holcombs farmhand was found shot in the head. Oh my God. Foy had been talking very openly about the Crouch murders in local bars a lot. And he was also suspected to be in connection with the death of a man in Union City, even though that had been ruled a suicide. He was a suspect of that at one point. He's a sus suspect. Yeah. So. Well, now he's dead as. Yes. Yeah. Sometime in 1884, a little bit later that year, Allen, a former Jackson machinist, was arrested in Hamilton, Ontario, and was charged with the murders after a testimony was given by Henry Holcomb. Henry being Susan's husband, right? Uh-huh. Henry mm. being the one we've talked about the most. Yeah. It was found that Alan had mortgages, deeds, land patents, and a letter that belonged to Jacob Crouch. But the charges were dismissed on May 6th, 1884, when Alan claimed the papers had been giving him, given to him by none other than Henry, Henry Holcomb. Mm. Trifling. Mm-hmm. March 8th of 1884, Judd Crouch, the youngest of the siblings and Daniel Holcomb man of the hour were arrested and charged with the crouch murders. Good. Yeah. Daniel's trial started November 8th, 1884 prosecutor Frank Hewlett was in pretty poor health. And so he asked Austin Blair, a former Michigan governor to act as special counsel. Okay. And it's a good thing he did because he died a few days into the trial. Who did L? No, the prosecutor, Frank Hewlett, who oh basically said, like, I need a second chair. Will you play second chair? And yeah. Yeah, he knew. Yeah. In total, 145 witnesses were called to testify. It's a lot of witnesses. Uh-huh. And I think when Susan died, I think this trial was about to happen. So some people think she actually committed suicide because of this. Fair. But only circumstantial evidence could be found and no one could concretely say who fired the shots that killed the victims. Yeah. Also, just random fun fact. That's the word. Sure. One of the witnesses, Mrs. Thomas Murphy, was actually killed by her axe-wielding husband during the trials. Wow. I don't think necessarily like in the room, but like while these trials were happening. Yeah. Yeah. On January 10th, 1885, a verdict of not guilty was come upon after a jury debated for just an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And actually the trial, so that was just for Daniel Holcomb. The trial for um, Judd would never happen. Okay. In 1886, though, three bloody shirts were found buried in the stump of a tree on the Holcomb property. Hmm. No one knows who they belong to. I mean, I'm guessing one of the Holcombs. I'm guessing maybe three people around there if there's three bloody shirts. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So the farm, Jacob Crouch's farm, actually was passed down to Judd. Okay. Who later lost it to the bank. Cool. So 
Judd was, like I mentioned, was never brought to trial. He would go on to move to Indiana, but actually returned to Jackson in the early 1900s. But he did so very quietly. Mm -hmm. And he started making a living hauling scrap and landscaping to support his family. Okay. So the case was never officially solved. Cold it case did go filed. cold. Yeah. However, it's haunted. Oh, absolutely. And a paranormal investigation team thinks they may have figured it out in 2010. Okay. And they think they solved the case. They investigated the property for two years. Okay. Regularly. And they use a lot of equipment in this particular instance. They were using what's called a hack box, which I haven't heard, but it's like, it's like a spirit box, like one of those AMFM scanners. Yeah. And their names are Randy Waltz and Denise Dowen Kruger. And they, um, and this comes from an article about their experiences. They were standing in a barn with, I don't know, four or five pieces of equipment set up. Yeah. And Waltz asks, are you happy you got away with it? Yep. A mystery voice answered. Ooh. And they believe that this was the voice of. Judd. No. Mm -mm. Holcomb's. Daniel Holcomb. Daniel Holcomb's. Mm -hmm. mm. So Jacob's son-in-law, the one who's all over this, like yeah, all yeah. over this. And they've pieced together bits of information, including that it was Daniel. However, there were how many bloody shirts? Three. They also believe that it was his brother, Henry Holcomb. Remember the one looking for yeah. work with him that one day on the porch and his farm boy, James Foy, who, if you remember, got murdered, got murdered. And because he was the one gabbing all much. over town about he it. He knew too much. They had to kill him. And he was talking about it. I'm sure they yeah. were like, shut up, shut up. And then he wouldn't shut up. So right. yeah, he had to go, clearly. And according to them, he, according to these investigators, this has been admitted to them. And Daniel Holcomb's spirit has said to them, yeah, I did it, but I'm dead. So I don't care. Love it. And they give a lot of details in their book called The Veil Behind the Grave. They claim that they've also spoken with Eunice White. Mostly she doesn't really, according to them, we'll say everything. I mean, everything yeah. is according. Take it all with a grain of salt, but it's fun. According to them, they say that she doesn't really actually know that she has passed and she's just worried about finding her husband because she's still eight or nine months pregnant in her hella pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. So she's very frantic and kind of like disturbed. Yeah. And she can't and she can't find her dad either. So she's looking for everybody. Oh, yeah. That one's kind of a bummer. And then they say basically Daniel Holcomb's kind of a dick. He's yeah. not nice to them. They, yeah. He doesn't really like them. They also think that they've heard Jacob Crouch himself and um, his friend Polly. Yeah. But they're a little less sure as those ones have been a little less clear and not like as communicative. Yeah. They claim that they've interacted with Daniel's wife, though, Susan, as well. Okay. At the uh, Reynolds Cemetery where she was buried. Uh, and they say Susan has been very informative. I bet. I don't know specifically what she said, but apparently she's a little bit more helpful. I, would, I just want to know if it was rat poison. Yeah. Susan, was it rat poison? What happened? Please Susan, tell me more. Let us know. Call in, Susan. <laughs> Please do. That would be the creepiest thing ever if that right. happened. <laughs> so a few more spooks, though. So shortly after the murders, people did start report seeing a kind of like um, 
white mist traveling between St. John's Cemetery in Jackson and Reynolds Cemetery five miles down the road because the family is not all necessarily married, buried, married, buried at the same plot. So they think that maybe sometimes they're traveling back and forth. Aww. So much so that uh, every year on the night of November 21st, although this is frowned upon, locals do not like it and it is not recommended to do this at night, but you're welcome during day. Uh, people gather at the rain, rain, Reynolds, R-E-Y-N-O, Reynolds, Reynolds, okay, Reynolds Cemetery in Jackson to try and catch a glimpse of the spirits of Jacob and Eunice specifically. Okay. Uh, they say they meet up in the middle of the night. It's been reported to see two apparitions on the specific night of the 21st. Uh-huh. With the faint sounds of crying and ghostly mist that float over greenstones until stopping at Jacob's grave and disappearing into the ground. Weird. But they don't encourage it. I did read somewhere, so I just feel compelled that I yeah I need to say that bit out loud. Yeah. And just we're just going to go ahead for a second. But in 1947, the original house actually burned down and it looked to be arson, which is kind of sad. But yeah, and sus or crime. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is like 50 years later. But uh, it's still crime. <laughs> still crime. Uh, and really quick, my sources, two MLive articles, one called Peak Through Time, Crouch Murders Still Captivating 127 Years After Infamous Night by Leanne Smith. And paranormal investigators believe they have solved 127-year-old Crouch Murders by Aaron Opperly. And OnlyInYourState.com and The Veil Behind the Grave by Andrew Hunter. Interesting. What an interesting case and just like so many twists and turns. Mm-hmm. I was surprised by this one. I read a blurb about it like one, on one one thing. Yeah. It was interesting, but I was like, oh, I don't know if there's enough. And then I started looking deeper into it and I was like, oh, no, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> there's way more here. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'm with you, though, too. And honestly... I I totally believe the theory that it was Henry Holcomb, his brother, and the farmhand. Oh, yeah. That makes total sense. There's three shirts. All those things yeah. just fit right into place. Yeah. And, and the three shirts especially. Yeah. Ugh, forget about it. Yeah. I think, I think they got it. I think so, too. I mean, there's no way to, like, prove, prove, but it sounds yeah. very plausible that that was what happened yeah well thank you for the ooky spooky story for spooky season thank you for listening thank you for coming along this this ride to this this road trip always yeah always Uh, waved at nancy yes (laughs) that brings us to two truths and a lie which i have a very fun one for you today Ooh. so your two truths and a lie Mm-hmm. is about the Spice Girls. Oh, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. <laughs> exactly. Those Spice Girls, exactly. Uh-huh. I was watching Drag Race. Spice UK. World. Oh. No, I want to watch Spice World again, but they, they're doing the girl group challenge on Drag Race UK, and mm-hmm. the runway was they had to dress up like a Spice Girl. Oh, how fun. Nobody picked Sposh. Nobody picked Posh, which I was oh. kind of like, oh. But it did inspire me to do a two truths and a lie about them. And I'm actually glad I did because I learned a lot more about the Spice Girls and learned how they're even more rad than I thought they were. Bring it. All right. Fact number one. Mm -hmm. They never won a Grammy. Okay. 
Fact number two. They're one of the few girl groups to have the same managers from founding until breakup. Okay. Fact three. Their names, you know, posh, ginger, scary, et cetera, mm-hmm. were actually the idea of a features writer for a magazine. I know so very little. Um, number three. Number three is true. Damn. I guess, uh, I think it was Top of the Pops magazine. Okay. I want to say they just like published the names up. Like the girls didn't know about it and then it was published. And then once it was published, it just kind of stuck. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I can see that. Um, we will go with, now I'm very conflicted. Uh-huh. Because immediately when you were reading, I was just like number one, but then I was like, mm, I don't know. That could, that would be a good lie. Fuck it. One. One is true. Okay. They yeah. won have a bunch of other awards, but never a Grammy. Okay. Then obviously number two. And. That was my next guess. Yes. <laughs> This uh, is actually my favorite one because that's very false. Their first managers wanted them to wear similar outfits and gave them songs to sing. And the girls were like, no, 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 no. So they actually took out a loan to pay them off and decided to go themselves. Yeah. I do love that. Right. Especially like when you think about how like they met through a like a newspaper ad, basically. Mm -hmm. They're like, nope, we're we have a better idea for this band that you put together. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Just some other fun facts. Mm -hmm. The band was originally called Touch. Uh, When they were first signed, they were all living in a house together in Maidenhead. It was a conscious decision to wear affordable looks because they wanted them to be attainable for their fans, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Of just like, we're only going to wear things that our fans can afford. So that way our fans want to buy the Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry, who is Ginger Spice, she's the Mm -hmm. one who kind of broke up the band. I guess, like, she did it by, they were all on a private plane to Oslo together, and she, like, kind of just, like, walked off the plane when they got there, like, I'm going to say bye now, girls, and just disappeared. Oh, wow. Yeah. Posh is the only Spice Girl to not have her own line in Wannabe. Aww. Yeah. Uh, Ginger made a cameo in Sex in the City, and the last time all of them performed together was at the Olympics in 2012. And lastly, uh, Victoria sang the song Mine Hair from Cabaret for her audition song because she came from a musical theater background. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Well, spice up your life, y'all. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we say stop right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely. Because we are wrapped. Mm-hmm. What are we wrapped like today? Like, like three shirts and a tree stump? No. Yes. We got nothing else. We are wrapped like a piece of Halloween candy. And if you want to find us on our social media, it's at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook, and our email address, Detroit Strange at Facebook. Nope. Detroit Strange at Mm gmail.com. And it would be fantastic if you could leave us a five star review on Apple Podcast. It does help a lot and it is free. Yes. Or if you want to support the show in other ways, there's always the shop at Threadless. Just look up Detroit Strange or Patreon. Same thing. If you're having trouble finding anything, let us know. DMs are always open. Always open. And I think. Until next time. Stay strange. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. 
Our theme song was created by Detroit duo Sax and Violence.